the second message in our study of the book of Deuteronomy, our sermon series, will cover uh, chapter 1, verses 6 through 46. A lot of verses, but we'll not deal with each one of them, but select a few verses. And here we find Moses beginning with his first sermon. Deuteronomy is a series of three sermons by Moses, and verse 6 starts his first. And, and Moses' purpose is to recount God's history with his relationship with his people, especially in light of the promise of land. And so the theme today that's very central to understanding this passage is that God gives and his people take. In what way is God's relationship with us a give and take relationship? Well, we have human relationships, and we understand a little bit about what it means to have a give-and-take relationship. It is when one person does something that he or she may not necessarily want to do, but they do this something for the benefit of the other person in the relationship. And very importantly, and vice versa. Reciprocity the other person also doing what he or she may not necessarily want to do for the benefit of the person is necessary in a relationship to have good health. That way you don't have one person always giving and the other person always taking. Give and take relationship. For example, Renee cooks, and when she cooks, guess what I do? I clean. Not because, yeah, who said I eat? Did someone say that? <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> That's funny. I didn't even think about that when I was coming up with this example. I clean. And you know how much I love to do the dishes. Yikes. And when I cook, and Renee eats and I eat, she cleans. Reciprocity, give and take. God does have a give-and-take relationship with us, with one exception, leave off the vice versa. Leave off the aspect of reciprocity. God gives, now listen to this, God gives all of his covenant promises, and in obedience, we are to take them we are to lay hold of them. We are to possess them. And this is what we're going to talk about today, about God giving and his people taking, a give and take relationship. Now Moses preached, and I will also preach about three things that Moses preaches about here in this text one thing is God's promises, the second thing is God's presence, and the third thing is God's penalty. So we'll be looking at these three things this morning in this passage. Now let's pray, and then while you're preparing to pray, which we'll pray in just a moment, go ahead and open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 1. We'll read verses 6 through 8, then we'll read verse 26, and then we'll read verses 29 through 40. Don't worry, I'll direct us through that. Let's pray. Father, teach us this morning about your give-and-take relationship with your people. 
cause us to see the, the massive vision that you set before us and all of your promises in Scripture and give us the faith that we need to take them, to possess them. Father, we know that we'll do so imperfectly, so we thank you for Jesus, the one who is the mediator of the new covenant, the one who has not only perfectly obeyed your covenant for us, but he's also taken all of the curses of violating that covenant, our violating that covenant, and in him we are accepted before you even today as covenant keepers. And so, Lord, cause us to think about your promise, your presence, and then when we fail, the forgiveness that we have through Christ Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Now God's word for God's people. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, 26, 29 through 40. The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country, and in the lowland, in the Negev, and by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites, and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set before you, go in, take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and to give them and to their offspring after them. Now verse 26, yet you will not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And verse 29, then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek out a place to pitch your tents in fire by night and in the cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. And the Lord heard your words and was angered, and he swore, not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it, and to him and to his children I will give the land on which he has trodden, because he was he has wholly followed the Lord. Even with me, the Lord was angry on your account and said, You also shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. And as for your little ones, who you said would become a prey, and your children, who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they will go in there. And to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. The word of the Lord is eternal and stands firm in the heaven. It is perfect, reviving the soul. And may God's word revive our souls even today. So if you would please uh, take your Bibles and just... Follow along with me as we uh, work through this rather lengthy passage this morning. First, Moses preached about God's promise of land 
that his people were to take. Promise Keepers is a national men's ministry, and they encourage men to keep seven promises. You can go online and look at these promises. They're great promises, but they're their desire is that men would keep these promises as a way of following biblical principles just in everyday life. And so recently I was reading through these promises and, and just thinking about making promises and keeping promises, and it just came to me how difficult it is for me at times to keep the promises that I make. And maybe you have the same thought that it can be hard to keep our promises, especially in relationship to living in obedience before God. Look at verse 6, the Lord our God. That's how Moses' sermon begins. This phrase, the Lord our God, or a similar phrase, the Lord your God, occurs 300 times at least in the book of Deuteronomy. So this must be important. The Lord, Yahweh, the covenant name of God given through Moses. God, Elohim, referring to God's might, the more common name for the God of the Israelites. And then those two names, Yahweh, Elohim, joined by our, pointing to the almighty covenant God being in relationship with Israel to make promises and to keep them for the Israelites' benefit. I think we learn a lot about God and his promises at the very beginning of verse 6. But as we look further down to verse 8, we find that the promise in question, that one of the main promises that God gave to Israel had to do with the land. And this promise was first made to Abraham. We read about this in Genesis chapter 12 through 17. And not only was it made to Abraham, but it was passed down the line through the patriarchs. And this promise was for that generation, that Horeb generation that has spent a year at the foot of Mount Sinai. God's promise was for them. And as we look at verse 7, we see that Moses really gave a grand vision of this promise to Israel. Just look at verse 7 and see how Moses describes the geographical boundaries of the promise of land. I'll save you a little time and simply tell you this, that the geographical boundaries basically covers most of Syria and Palestine. This is a a, a massive vision and Israel even under David and Solomon never had that degree of geography under their power but the reason Moses records this massive vision encompassing Palestine and Syria is because it mirrors the promise that God gave to Abraham in Genesis 15 18 that the land would be from the river in Egypt all the way to the great river, the Euphrates. The gift of the promise prompted action. Look what is said here. God gave and the people were to go in and take. God is faithful 
to make his promises. He's faithful to keep his promises, but he requires that we go in and take them. They're ours, and there must be a response of obedience by taking, by claiming, by, by cashing in, by, by benefiting from them, by living in light of them. God, through Moses, provided something also in this passage that I believe was motivational for the people. The people had multiplied to such an extent that in verse 10, Moses said that, that they're as numerous as the stars of the heaven. As numerous as the stars of the heaven. We find that language in Hebrews 11, that passage read earlier. We certainly find this language in Genesis chapter 15. Moses asked God in verse 11 to bless them and to make them more numerous as God had promised. And I believe this alludes to, the, to Genesis 12 where God not only promised Abraham land, but he also promised Abraham that his descendants would be a great nation. That his descendants would grow and populate and become numerous Abraham's descendants at Horab had become so numerous that Moses said he was no longer able to bear the responsibility of leadership. Now we know back in Exodus chapter 18, Moses' father-in-law Jethro comes to him and says, hey Moses, listen, you're judging these people and they are wearing you out. You need to choose godly men that could be your under judges to help you and you just take care of the Supreme Court cases let these other judges judge and rule in the lesser cases and now we find Moses here in Deuteronomy the same principle in verses 13 through 18 appointing heads to be leaders over the tribe so they can share in the leadership now, it would be easy for us just to simply take all of this as, okay, great. So, through Moses, God organized the nation of Israel. I like organizations. It makes sense to me. Shared leadership, great. But I think there's something more here. I actually think this is God saying, hey, listen, I want to prove to you that I'm faithful to keep my promises. I have already partially kept this promise of a people becoming so numerous that they would become a great nation. And here at the foot of Mount Horeb, the need for help in leadership actually is proof that God is faithful in keeping his promises, even though this is a partial fulfillment of that. And I think this is motivational for the people to remember that they need to take God at his word. Then when, when he says, I give you this promise, the Lord our God will be faithful to that promise. And the Lord our God will be with us as we take that promise as our own. 
The promise prompts action. It prompts obedience. The passage read from Hebrews 11 about Abraham by faith leaving his home and traveling to the promised land. Sarah by faith receiving the power to conceive though she was well beyond the years of childbearing. God gives and we obey by taking his promises by faith. He is faithful to his promises and we can take them assured of those promises being fulfilled. Well, why should we have confidence uh, to take the promises? Yes, we're motivated because God is faithful, and I think he's, he's already proved that here in this passage. But, he, but we also are confident to take those promises because of his presence. This is the second aspect of this passage for today. So in verse 21, the promise is restated. The promise of verse 8 is restated. But in verse 21, Moses adds, take and do not fear or be dismayed. So obviously Moses anticipates the people there as they're preparing to leave Horeb and travel to Kadesh Barnea and go in and take possession, that they are going to be in fear because the promise is so great. And so he says, do not fear or be dismayed. Now in verse 22, it appears that Moses is, is saying that the people initi initiated this plan to send out 12 spies. And this could possibly be a contradiction of what Moses has already said in Numbers chapter 13 and verse 1, where it clearly says that God told Moses to send out the spies. So how do we resolve this? Well, I think one way to resolve it is to simply understand that likely in Deuteronomy, what Moses is pointing out is more the people adopting, being in favor of the plan that God has initiated. And I think that's a good way to understand it. But I think there's something more here. I think there, there's something that has to do with why might the people want to adopt this plan to send spies into the land? We know God's purposes in sending the spies into the land was not to figure out, okay, is this doable? No. God had promised it was theirs for the taking. All they had to do was go in and take it. So the purpose of sending out spies into the land was to strengthen faith, was to strengthen trust, was to motivate the people that, yeah, this is... This is ours. Let's go, guys, and take the promise. We actually see that language with Joshua and Caleb, don't we? They were fired up. <laughs> Let's go in and take it. But I think if we look at it from the people's perspective, I really do think they were in fear. I think they were probably trying to figure out, is this really doable? And so, hey, let's, okay, good idea, send in these spies so that we can see if we can actually take this land. See, I actually think their adoption of this was more a question of their lack of faith. 
where God's purpose was more to increase faith. And so Moses pointed them to have confidence in going in and taking the land because of God's presence. We see this in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 29 through 31. Moses commanded them not to fear. Yeah, we're going to send the spies in. They're going to check everything out. They're going to bring back a report, but do not fear. Why should you not fear? Why should you go up and take the land, even though humanly it may seem impossible? Do not fear. Why? Because God will fight for you. And there's evidence for this because God had already fought for Israel. He fought for Israel in Egypt when they were in bondage to free them and to bring them safely through the redemptive waters of the Red Sea. I will fight for you, God says. I've got a record of fighting for you. Just consider the exile from Egypt. And, look at verse 31... And in the wilderness, where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way, all the way that you went until you came to this place, and this place is Mount Sinai, Horeb. God was with them all the way. He fought for them in Egypt and redeemed them. He was with them. Exodus chapter 19 speaks of, of, of God bearing up the Israelites on eagles' wings and bringing them to Mount Sinai, his presence. But don't you love that image of a man carrying his son? It's so beautiful. Just a simple example, Renee and I, when we were trying to teach our children how to swim, we didn't take them and just throw them in the pool. We were in the water with them. We were present with them. They felt safe and confident that we were there. They were free to, to learn how to swim. And even when they were sinking, we would reach out and grab them, and we would comfort them, and then we'd put them right back out there. We'd let them go and let them learn how to swim. Why? So they would succeed. And this is the point that I want to make. What Moses is saying here is that Israel... These promises are yours. God has already given them to you. All you have to do is go in and take it. And his presence is with you that you will succeed. He is with us, ensuring our success. The Lord our God is present with his people And this is why we can boldly and confidently take hold of all of the promises that he gives to us that are recorded in his word. They are ours, and his presence ensures they are ours. And I love the way the prophet Isaiah reflects this. This is part of the the call to worship this morning. Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is one verse that I read it because I didn't want to mess it up, but I've got this committed to memory. 
and most of the time my memory works well because it is so significant to me. I started this service out by asking you to contemplate where would you be without God's presence? I tell you where we'd be, we would be in utter terror <laughs> every second of every day. But our God is with us. We are not to fear. We are not to be dismayed. He's strengthening. He's helping. He's ensuring that all his promises are ours. But what happens when we lack faith? We are to take hold of the promises by faith. And we have confidence to do so because of God's presence. But what happens when we don't do that, when we lack faith, when we try to, when we ignore God's presence, when we try to live the Christian life in our own strength and by our own understanding? Proverbs 3, the title verse on your uh, scripture, kind of warns us about going off on our own. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, but all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make you pass straight. Well, half the time, we, we do lean on our own understanding, and we lack faith. So what happens? God's penalty. It's the third thing that Moses has preached. He, he preaches God's penalty because of the rebellion of unbelief that we find listed here. The people were to obey God by taking the promises by faith. But the people, except Joshua, Caleb, and Moses, lack faith. And God calls that lack of faith rebellion. Verse 26, yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. Verse 32, yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God. And the penalty for this rebellion that you see in verse 35 of chapter 1, the same penalty that we discussed last week, was that Horeb generation would be destined to wander in the wilderness for 40 years and die in the wilderness. And not even Moses was going to be permitted to enter the land. He would die atop Mount Nebo. Verse 37 records this. These stern words in verse 40... But as for you, turn and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. If you're at Mount Sinai, the direction of the promised land is north. If you are in Kadesh Barnea, the direction of the Red Sea is south. Do you see what's happened? The penalty was now, God says, your punishment, the judgment I bring upon you, instead of going into the promised land, you're going to go away from it. Except Joshua and Caleb and the children of that Horeb generation, verses 36, 38 through 39. But I find something interesting how this chapter ends, just very quickly. It ends, as, as one commentator put it, with describing Israel committing the sin of unbelief in inaction, that's what we just talked about, but also they committed the sin of unbelief in action. And what's interesting, the only confession that we find recorded that Israel makes is in verse 41, where they acknowledge their sin. And then, so God had already said, I will, I'm bringing judgment upon you because of the rebellion of unbelief. And the people repented, and then they said, okay, 
we now resolve to go in and possess the land. And God said, no, I am withdrawing my presence from you as part of the judgment, the temporal judgment. And if you go in, if you take action and you go in, you will be defeated. What do you think these people did? Well, they rebelled. So they rebelled by lacking, they rebelled, hopefully I can be clear in this, they rebelled by not taking action, they rebelled in inaction by not going in, and then they rebelled by not going in, they rebelled by taking action to go in. In other words, they just simply lacked faith. By not going in, they lacked faith when they decided to go in because it was all contrary to God's will. I hope that makes sense. Just read God's word. That'll clear it up if I have confused you. God's promise was given for the taking. God's presence ensured that they would possess it. And God's penalty was imposed because of the rebellion of unbelief. So that's, that's the story. That's what Moses preached. And I want to give four implications very, very quickly for this. And the first one is this. God's promises prompt action and obeying. So what does that mean? God's promises prompt action in obeying. I have to say, I kind of struggled to come up with an analogy that might help us understand exactly what that means. And this is what I came up with. I've been given gift cards to restaurants and to stores. And let's just say there's $100, not that I'm suggesting you do that, but let's just say there's $100 on a gift card. Well, that $100 stays on that gift card. That $100 does not benefit me until I actually go to, go to the restaurant or go to that store and actually use it. I use it. I take action. Even though that $100 is mine, it's of no benefit. God's promises are ours, but in order to benefit from them, we must take action and lay hold of them, claim them, live in light of them, act consistent with them, think consistent with them, look ahead to the future in light of them. In other words, the, taking those promises means we benefit from them. They begin to govern how we think and how we live. They have an impact into our lives. Second, Moses recounted this history so that this new generation would not repeat the same error as their mothers and their fathers. And that lesson is for you and me today as well. We need to look back and learn from the past that we not repeat the errors of the past. And third, we struggle with the sin of unbelief and do not go in and take what is already ours. We just keep the money on the gift card and never use it. Now, there are two ways we do this, the same two ways that the Israelites rebelled against God. 
by inaction and by action. So we can not take the promises of God because of inaction. We push the promises away. Renee and I were just talking about this, and some years ago we had a mentor taking us through a discipleship ministry, and this mentor told us one time that every morning you get up, God is, God is showing you all of his promises. Don't push them away. In other words, don't think that, well, I really don't need those promises. Or maybe that you just simply are having a struggle, you're in a period of spiritual dryness, and so you really don't want those promises. It could be that you think, wow, these promises are too great. There's no way in the world God is going to do this for me, and so I'm not even going to bother with it. And maybe, which this is my favorite one for me personally, maybe I simply don't want to be dependent. I don't want to be a needy person <laughs> having to depend on God's promises. So think about this, that we can sin by pushing away God's promises, not taking them, not claiming them, not benefiting from them, not cashing in on them, not using them. And then we can sin also by action where we actually push God away. We either push the promises away or we push God away. And what do I mean by pushing God away? I mean by doing the same thing the Israelites did when they said, oops, we've sinned, we're sorry, now we're going to go in and take the land. And God says, don't go in and take the land. My presence will not be with you. You'll be defeated. But they went in without God. And you know what? Again, I'm a master at this. If you, if you have trouble sinning this way, just come talk to me. Well, I don't want to tell you how to sin. But I'm just so good at this particular sin of pushing God away because I think I can actually do okay on my own. I don't really need to depend on him. I really don't need his presence. And I become aware of this when I analyze my prayers and not really asking God for guidance, for help, not really crying out to him for mercy when I'm in fear. I really think I can, he said, I will supply all of your needs. And I think, hey, man, I can supply most of my needs. Push God away. So are you pushing the promises away? Or are you pushing God away? They're both sins of rebellion sins of unbelief and fourth and final we, we deserve the penalty of being rebellious we really do just like the Israelites even though that was not a final ultimate penalty well it wasn't since because they died in the wilderness but yet the people of God still were given the land but there are temporal consequences that we face. We really deserve the fact that God should remove his presence with us because we can be so 
rebellious as his children. But the gospel is we get what we, we don't get what we deserve. <laughs> we get grace. In other words, I want to just close today by, by just drawing our attention to what Christ has done. We've already sung about it this morning. That, and when we look at the promises of God, when we look at God's covenant with us, we realize that we're probably too much like the Israelites than we care to acknowledge. That we're prone to rebel and either push the promises away or to push God's presence away, thinking we can do it on our own. But yet when we do that, we need to realize that we have the mediator of the new covenant, Jesus Christ. Jesus not only has faithfully and perfectly fulfilled all of the covenant stipulations so that the promises would be ours, but he's also taken the curse of breaking the covenant. He's taken the penalty upon himself. We see this at the very end of Genesis chapter 15. And in Christ Jesus, we are accepted as covenant keepers before God even today. And so my encouragement to us as we reflect upon this passage about God's promise, God's presence, and then the penalty of violating, that we're honest with the fact that, yeah, we do violate the covenant. We do rebel in unbelief. But Jesus is there to forgive us. God gave Jesus, and he took up the office of mediator of a new covenant that we would be accepted as having fulfilled all the covenant stipulations, that we would be free from the curse because he has took the curse for us. This frees us up to really boldly take what is ours through Christ Jesus, and that is all the promises of God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you, Father, for all the covenant promises that you've set before us. We acknowledge our own difficulty and struggle in actually taking those promises, believing them. But, Father, we thank you for Jesus who covers a multitude of sin and who is with us, strengthening us. We pray, Father, that more and more that we would Take what is ours by faith and live in light of all of your promises. And we pray this and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would take your hymnal.